Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We're starting a new series uh, tonight, and it's really just going to take us through um, winter retreat. So just a few weeks, um, but we want to spend a few weeks in the new year just talking about important aspects of our relationship with Jesus. And uh, I mentioned winter retreat, so I'm going to bring it up again. I'm sorry. Um, Winter retreat is happening February 2nd through the 4th. Okay, that's next month. It's a month away, all right? Um, it's here in Vero, so you don't have to drive very far. It's at a place called Real Life Camp, which is just out on 60. It's amazing. You'll pull in, and uh, it's a nice couple days to just get away and reset. That's really our heart behind it. Um, there's all sorts of fun things to do. Uh, there's uh, an insane paintball course. Um, there's rock climbing. There's a cool kayak um, tour. There's paddle boats. There's um, all sorts of like different indoor and outdoor games. Um, and then we'll have times of worship and teachings. Um, you're staying in a cabin with bunk beds. It's super fun. Um, you'll have food. You can bring snacks. It's a, uh, if you, we do a, uh, a volunteer or voluntary, is that a word? Phone fast. Um, and if you give up your phone, you get a cool disposable camera. Um, so all sorts of fun things, okay? I'm just trying to lay it on thick. It's a lot of fun, and uh, it's a really good time for us to get away. And if you're like one of those people that you're like, I don't know if any of my friends are going, text your friend and say, hey, let's go to winter retreat. Easy as that. And then if you're like, I don't think I can afford that, I'm telling you, I have, no joke, thousands of dollars in scholarships that I'm just waiting to give away to people. I'm, t- I'm not lying. I've got a note in my phone with the dollar amount. It's thousands of people from our church that are like, we just want high school kids to go to winter retreat. So I'm, I'm just telling you to go, okay? You got it? Do I need to keep going? Are you going to sign up? Okay. All right. All right. Good night, everybody. See you next week. <laughs> Okay, we're going to spend a few weeks in the new year talking about the important aspects of a relationship with Jesus. What are some of the essentials? Everyone say essentials. As we seek to walk with God. Tonight, simple. I want to talk about the importance of living unashamed of being a follower of Jesus. Living unashamed of being a follower of Jesus. The reason I think that's important is because it's really easy for us to compartmentalize our life. It's really easy for us to, in certain groups and in certain settings and in certain environments, to behave or have interests in one thing, um, and then in other settings, have interests or behave in other things. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be like a Renaissance person. What I mean by that is like you should be able to have conversations with just about anybody. Like you should be able to like flow in conversations from like sports to the weather, to maybe like school or books or movies. Like it is cool to have like a wide variety of interests um, to be able to talk about. That's, that's not what I'm uh, like what I'm dissing. What I am sort of making a case for is that we should be authentic in every aspect of life. We should be the same. We shouldn't be changing our personality or who we are depending upon who we're surrounding ourselves with and but but because that oftentimes can be the case it's really easy for us to be a christian on thursday or a christian with our christian friends 
and then to not be that way around other people. And so how do we be truly, fully committed to Jesus regardless of what we're walking through? Listen to this first. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 3. It says this. Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. Therefore, since we have such hope, such an expectation because of who God is and what he's doing, he says we are very bold. I wonder what a motivation for you would be to live very bold. In this passage, we're told Paul's writing and he says, because of my hope, because of my expectation, I live very bold. But for Peter and John, different apostles, their boldness came from time spent with Jesus. So it wasn't necessarily their hope, but it was more so their personal, intimate relationship with Jesus that gave them boldness. For Paul, we're told it was largely due to his hope in God, the future glory that far outweighed his present suffering. He recognized that his situations now were, were, weren't permanent. They're temporary. The pressures he faced or the mocking he experienced or the awkwardness he experienced, he recognized that that was temporary and God was eternal. And so his present suffering was far outweighed by future glory. I wonder for you what your motivation is or should be that would cause you to live unashamed as a follower of Jesus. What, what, would, it, what would it take for you to be very bold in your relationship with God? Maybe it's more time spent with Jesus. Maybe it's, maybe it's a hope or a, a security that you know that's found in God. Maybe it's peace that you have experienced in him. Maybe it's the goodness or the joy or the fact that you've been saved and you want other people to experience that as well. I wonder what it would look like for you or what you would need to find a motivation to live very bold. Whatever the motivation, we're called to live as lights in the world, unashamed of who we are and what we're called to do. I've titled this message uh, tonight, it's a question. It's this, will you stand Will you stand? And I'm going to read a, a really familiar, really famous story in the book of Daniel. And then I've got three simple points and we'll call it a night. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Let's read the story. Now we're jumping into the middle of a story. Context. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, has created a golden statue that we're told is like 100 feet tall. And he made this statue as a rebellion to a promise or a prophecy given by God. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had a, a dream, and in this dream, there was a statue that was built with a head of gold, with shoulders of silver, and it kind of went down in different materials all the way to its feet. And then in that dream, a stone came and crushed the feet of the, uh, the statue, and then the whole thing crumbled, and then that stone, that rock, turned into a giant mountain. That was his dream. Imagine waking up from that dream. You'd be like, that was very different than the normal dreams I have. Like, my dreams are like this. <laughs> you ever have dreams like that where you're, like, trying to pick something up and you're just like. <laughs> Literally, those are my dreams. I'm like this. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's how I, like, wake up. I'm like, of course. I was in my house. I was with my grandma. This is my dream. And you wake up and you're like, yeah, and all these people were, like, out to get me. And, like, the visual is this. All right, Anyways. Imagine waking up from that dream. You're like, this whole scene unfolds. Well, he's spooked. Nebuchadnezzar's spooked. He talks to this guy named Daniel, and Daniel tells him that 
And that's actually the future that's going to unfold. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the, 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 your empire is that head of gold. But soon you're going to be conquered by a lesser kingdom. And then that kingdom is going to be conquered by a lesser kingdom. So, far, uh, so forth and so on all the way down until ultimately God is going to topple all the kingdoms of men. And he's going to set up his kingdom. That stone is going to turn into a mountain and God is going to reign supreme. So he hears this news, you're going to fall, your kingdom's going to fall. And so what does he do? The very next scene we see is Nebuchadnezzar builds an entire statue head to foot made out of gold. What is he saying? He's saying, God, I hear your word, um, but it's not going to happen that way. In fact, I'm going to be around forever. My kingdom is going to last forever and ever is what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. So he makes this head of gold and then he makes a decree in his land. He says every single person has to bow down and worship this statue of gold. Basically saying that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom is going to be forever. And we're worshiping Nebuchadnezzar as a god. And we're told that as as Nebuchadnezzar has ordered the people to worship in this act of self-exaltation, that three Jewish men are not bowing in an act of radical obedience to their God. This is the scene, okay? So Nebuchadnezzar's made this decree. He tells everyone to worship, and there's three guys that disobey. And it says this, verse 16. Uh, And basically they say, like, uh, the verses before, they're like, did you not hear the music? Why aren't you bowing down? What's going on? Actually, sorry, a little more context, because I kind of just have a few verses here. (coughs) Excuse me. He also says, if you don't bow down, you guys know the story, but if you don't bow down and worship, I'm going to kill you, and the way I'm going to kill you is by throwing you into a fiery furnace. Okay, is that ringing bells? You guys all know the story? Okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who is, uh, we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. But, uh, I read, or you read that, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed, and he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded certain mighty uh, men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men uh, were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was so urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered and they said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. Keeps going. Actually, we'll keep going. I don't know. We'll pause there. You guys understand the story? You see it? Context? You get it? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to apply this to our life. We understand the story. We see what's happening. God, we're, we're probably never going to find ourselves uh, threatened to be thrown into a fire. But, Lord, we are oftentimes uh, opposed for being followers of Jesus. So, God, we want to stand bold for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, when my brothers were in high school, they would go to Firehouse Subs. They were, they were at Charter, and so they would go to Firehouse Subs, like, basically every day for lunch. Um, and uh, they were known there. Like, to this day, my brother James, it's funny, we've got, I, they're twins. James and Trevor are twins. James, specifically, will go into Firehouse Subs whenever he's in town, and there's a woman that works there that'll be like, hey, James, how are you? It's like the only person in the world that I think can tell James and Trevor apart. Um, but they would go there all the time. And most of the time, when they would go to Firehouse Subs, them and their friends would order subs. Because that's what you do at Firehouse Subs. Until one time, one of their friends, I can't remember his actual name, went in and uh, he ordered chili. Which, like, dude. Like, it's so random, right? Like, you walk into, if you order chili at Firehouse Subs, I'm not trying to offend you, but it's just, like, so random. Um, And so from that day on, he got the nickname Big Chili. And like, I'm telling you, I don't, I can't even, I don't know his real name. He went to youth here for a while and like he was forever known as Big Chili. He's probably like 30 now and he's known as Big Chili. Like that's just his name. Um, The reason I'm telling you that is like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is the story that they're known for. Like this is it, right? The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a fiery furnace. This is this guy's, this is their story. This is the story that put these, these guys on the map. This is what they're known for. But it was their character. This is the point. This is why I'm saying all that. It was their character before this that allowed them to have this big moment. You see, you don't have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace as an act of radical disobedience to the king and radical obedience to God without a, without a private character that builds up to this big sort of crowning moment. Many of us like to think that if we're put in a situation like this, like we'll stand up for our faith in a heroic way. Like many of us think like we're clutch, like I'm that guy. The problem is you're just not that guy. Like most of us just aren't. Like games on the line, balls in your hand, air ball, probably, no offense. Like we're just not that person. But we like to think that when it comes to faith and our life and following Jesus, that we are like when the big moment happens, we're going to be the person that stands up and is like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Like the problem is it's probably not going to go down that way unless, listen to me, unless you have a private life of obedience. You see, if we want to be used by God in a public way, we must be committed to God in private. Bold faith is not something that happens overnight. It's a commitment to God in every part of your life. 
Listen, you want to be clutch in the big moments, you have to be committed in the private moments. The reason those people get the ball in their hands or can do the thing in that moment is not because they're just throwing it out on a whim. It's because day in and day out, they're committed behind the scenes. If you want to have big public stands of faith, it starts with private commitment and devotion to Jesus. And we see this in a few ways from these guys in their life on how they do it. How we can live our lives with a boldness for the gospel. It starts with with a commitment behind the scenes. And this happens a few ways. Number one, this happens through private decisions. Okay, A a private commitment starts with private decisions. In order to have public moments of great faith, it starts with private decisions and commitment to God. For these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it started back in Daniel chapter 1. These were young men. So the context of Daniel and these guys is they're Jewish men that they grew up in Israel. Babylon came in as a... uh, well, Babylon came in as a, as a stronger army, defeated the Israelites, and then they basically like divided the people into two groups. You had like the handsome and pretty capable people, and then you had the ugly, incapable people. I'm not lying. The handsome and pretty capable were taken off to Babylon, and the ugly people were left in Israel. I'm not, I'm not making that up. That's what the Bible says. Like, you're ugly, you're staying in Israel. You're attractive? All right, right this way to Babylon. And then they took those people, they changed their names, they changed them from Jewish names to Babylonian names, and they began to transform them out of their Jewish culture, and they were trying to make them Babylonian name, Babylonians. They wanted them to forget about Israel and live full on in Babylon. So that's who these guys were. These guys were handsome and capable. They were taken to Babylon. They were given new names. They were given new jobs and they were supposed to forget about their old life, their old God, their old way of living. And they were supposed to fall in line in Babylon. They're living in the king's palaces. They have every opportunity to forget about their life as the children of Israel. They can forget about their customs and their religion and yet they don't. Here they are, right? Here they are saying, forget about your God, worship the golden statue or you're gonna die. And they're like, sorry, We're going to worship our God. And the crazy thing is, is they were really young when they were taken out of Israel into Babylon. Like, I wonder for you as a student, maybe some of you I know got in your car by yourself and you drove here to church because you're like, I want to follow Jesus. Some of you are here because your parents came in your room and said, hey, we're going to church. And you're like, oh, and like, that's what we do. Come on, we're going. Like, I wonder if you were out from your parents sort of control, like how many of us would stay committed to following Jesus? Here these guys are, taken away from everything that they know, their home, their routine, their life, all of it, their church, all of it, taken into a new country without their parents, given every opportunity. Imagine that. They're like, okay, you live in the king's palace. You have everything that the king has. You have access to whatever. And you're like, how are you going to live? Well, these guys, they're like, I'm committed to God, even without the control or the influence of my parents. And how did this happen? Listen to what what it says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. 
It says that Daniel resolved or purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way. So here he is. In this moment, he has access to everything that the king has. And we're told that he purposed in his heart. He made a private decision. He he decided, I am going to be committed to God. I'm not going to compromise in these little areas because I know that little compromise leads to big compromise. Are you hearing me? Little compromise in your life. Oh, it's just... It's just sometimes, it's not that big a deal. It's not what everybody else is doing. Little compromise leads to big compromise. And he said, do you know, I'm not going to eat the king's food. I'm going to stick to my diet as a Jew. Because public stands of commitment to God starts with private decisions of commitment to God. If you can't make decisions when no one is looking to be committed to God, how can you expect to do it when, the eyes, when everyone's eyes are on you? The point I'm trying to make is really simple. Private decisions impact your public life. What do you do when nobody's watching? What does is, what is your life and, and your relationship with Jesus look like when nobody's around or nobody's making you do it? Like tonight, I said, open up your Bible to Daniel chapter 3. When I'm not telling you where to open your Bible, are you opening it? Like when the, when the worship songs are not on the screen and the band's like absolutely killing it, and the lights are going insane, you're like, this is so cool, and you're like, I'm fully here, I'm fully present. When that's not happening, what does your worship life look like? You see, private decisions mattered. How's your prayer life? How's your time in God's word? How's your faith? How's your purity? If you're able to make private decisions that honor God, you'll be equipped to make public God-honoring decisions. And this happens with what I call the decision before the decision. Okay? The decision before the decision. Let me put it like this. The best time to decide that you're not going to get drunk at a party is not when you're at the party where people are drinking. Does that make sense? Like the best time, you're like, I'll figure it out. I'll wing it. You're in that environment and you're like, oh, what should I do? The best time to make that decision is not in that setting. Probably the best time to make that decision is like right now. In fact, let me challenge you. The best time to make a decision like that would be in small group. Tonight in small group, say, do you know what? I'm going to make this, this commitment to, to whatever it is. Whether it's I'm not going to party like this or I'm not going to look at that or I'm not going to behave like this. And just get some accountability around you. That says, okay, I, I, I'm going I'm to pray for you and I'm going to encourage you to make those decisions. The best time to do that, it, it, the, like the best time to decide whether or not you're going to go to church is not at like 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday when your alarm goes off. The best time to decide you're going to go to church is like right now. You're saying, I'm going to, I go to church on Sunday. So then when your alarm goes off, you've already made your decision. Are you hearing me? I'm trying to be really practical. So you don't have to, like, you don't need to make the choice every Thursday whether or not you're coming to youth. You can just decide, Thursday I go to youth. And then, like, unless you're out of town or you have to work, the decision's already made. You don't have to make the decision each week. Because you're saying, I'm committing myself. I want to be a follower of Jesus. These guys had decided a long time ago that they were going to be committed to God. Okay, the second thing that they did. First, they made private decisions. The reason they were able to say to the king's face, like, we don't care if you throw us in the fire, is because they made private decisions. The second was because they had good friends. Come on, somebody. They had good friends. 
you don't really hear about any of these guys by themselves. Like if I just said to you, like without having preached and saying these guys' names like 500 times, if I just said to you randomly, like tell me the second guy's name that was thrown into the fiery furnace, all of us would be like, huh? Meshach. Like you never hear Meshach on his own. Like it sounds Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like no one's just out here talking about Meshach. Why? Well, because these guys were, they were, they were friends. They were together. They were committed to following God together. And because of their camaraderie, because of their relationship with one another, it gave them more boldness to stand up in their relationship with God. What about you? Do you have people in your life that help you walk with Jesus? Do you have people in your life that hold you accountable, that encourage you, that send you that text, that, that, that send you that verse, that show you that worship song? Those people in your life that come alongside you and say, hey, we're following Jesus. I think every person needs two types of people in their life. Ready? This is good stuff. Two types of people. Ones that influence you and ones you influence. Every, you need these types of people in your life. The problem is, is when we get them out of balance. The problem is, is when the people we're supposed to be influencing start influencing us. You need people in your life that are committed to Jesus, that have been maybe walking with God longer than you, that, have, that are reading their Bible, that are praying, that are all about it, that influence you, that, that, that rub off on you. And then you, in turn, need to have people that you invest in. Because there's a danger. Too much input, you get fat spiritually, right? Too much. If you're just like taking it all in and there's no output, you get fat. You need a proper amount of input and output. You need to be being encouraged, but you also need to encourage somebody else. You need, you need people around you that, that lift you up, that tell you, hey, you've got a calling on your life. God wants to use your life. You, you, you shouldn't settle for anything else. But you also need people in your life that you're like, hey, you've got a calling on your life. Are you hearing me? This is good stuff. This is helpful. Right? This isn't the Nephilim, okay? This is like good, helpful stuff. <laughs> All right. You guys are like, what are you talking about? Although walking with Jesus is a personal decision, you can't, listen, you can't be dependent upon other people to determine whether or not you're going to walk with Jesus. It's a personal decision. But if you have people that are also walking with Jesus, it will make your life a lot easier. There's an old song that says, um, I've decided to follow Jesus. And then it says, no, uh, no turning back. And it says, though none go with me, though I will follow. You have to be willing to say, though none go with me. Even if it just was Meshach. Even if Shadrach and Abednego were bowing down to Meshach's like, not me, we have to be willing to do that. But let me tell you, it's a lot easier to make that public stand when you've got a Shadrach and an Abednego. Good friends. Okay, point number three. You guys still with me? Trust Jesus. So we need to make private decisions. How do we make these big public stands? Well, it starts with private decisions. Secondly, we got good friends. And number three, we got to trust Jesus. This story hits its peak when these three young men are in the fire and Nebuchadnezzar notices something. It's powerful, isn't it? There they are. They've turned it up to 11. The, 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 the soldiers are dying, throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And then I imagine just this 
fire like blazing out of this furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar sitting on his throne. I, I picture a throne that's just me, like that people are carrying. You know, because I, I can't imagine like his throne room set up like right by the furnace. Maybe it is. Maybe he's that weird. Um, like, you know, one of those, those thrones, and it's like, hey, set me down. I'm just making this up. This is just my head. Set me down. And then he goes, stands up, and he goes, how many? Hold on. How many people did we throw into the fire? And they're like, three, sir, right? Three. And he's like, one, two, three, four. One, two, three. I'm counting four. Like, like do you guys see four? And then I love this. It's so strong. He says, and one of them looks like the son of God. It's a big moment, isn't it? Something, something powerful is happening in this moment. This is what uh, theologians would call a Christophany. It's a manifestation of Jesus before the incarnation. Okay, so when Jesus arrived at Christmas time through the virgin birth, and, and there he was, and, and the, the kids playing the drums, the little drummer boys there, and the cows and the, the chickens are all singing away in a manger. And the whole thing's going down. Before that moment, I'm just kidding. There was no drums, and I doubt the cows were singing. Anyways, before that, Jesus touches down into our earth, into our planet, into time and space. He touches down, and where does he show up? He shows up in the fiery furnace. But notice a couple of things. Notice, number one, Jesus doesn't deliver them out of the fire. Did you notice that? They don't leave the fire until Nebuchadnezzar calls them out of the fire. Jesus just shows up and stands with them. I think we often want God to show up in our lives and deliver us from whatever difficulty we're walking in. But God often shows up and stands with us in the midst of our suffering. The psalmist would say it like this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He recognizes that the valley of the shadow of death is part of his journey. He's got to go through this. But what's his great hope? How can he keep going? He recognizes that his God is his shepherd and he stands there with him. I had a friend recently that went through all sorts of church drama, church hurt. He was part of a big church, and he got fired. All of these crazy things happened. And he said after all of that, he had this, like, crisis of faith. He, he just wasn't sure, like, if he could keep going, if he could keep walking with God. And he said his, he felt like his whole faith journey was like a marathon. And he said after the marathon was over, he said he felt like his life was, he was just sitting on the curb. And after doing all of these things, being a part of successful churches and doing all these things, a lot of people were asking him, like, hey, what's next for you? What are you going to do next? And he just felt like he was sitting on the curb after running a marathon. And Shane's probably the only one in the room that could attest to this, but I don't think, like, the sitting on the curb after running a marathon, you want to start thinking about running your next marathon. And he said that he was just like he was using like a word picture. And he said he felt like his life, he was like sitting on the curb. And he felt like God just came and sat down next to him on the curb. 
He, he didn't feel like God showed up and was like, all right, buddy, let's go run another marathon. He just felt like God showed up and just sat there with him. Just present, present in the difficulty, present in the pain, present in the confusion, present in the frustration. Listen, Jesus oftentimes shows up in the middle of our situation, but he doesn't always deliver us out of it. Here Jesus is. Wait, I thought we threw three, three guys in there. There's a fourth in there, and they're, they're walking around in the fire. They're not leaving. They're not exiting. They're, they're, they're comfortable in the fire. And then the second thing I want us to see is that Jesus gets all the glory. Nebuchadnezzar calls these guys out of the furnace. They walk out untouched by the fire. And then what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Well, look at this. Look at verse 28. It says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Nebuchadnezzar's response is to worship God and give him all the glory. I think we often get so focused on what's happening to us, like the difficulties we walk through. Why am I walking through this? Why, why would God allow this to happen? If he really loved me, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have this happen to me. And we miss, listen to me, we miss what God is doing through us because we get fixated on what's happening to us or around us. Like sometimes there isn't an answer to why your parents are getting a divorce. There isn't an answer to why you have to move. There isn't an answer why that loved one passed away. There isn't always an answer to why you're feeling that sort of feeling. But you never know how God's using that situation in your life to bring glory to him and to bless other people. And so we get so fixated on, okay, God, why is this happening? What's going on that we miss what God's actually doing through us? So then, so I think a better question, rather than asking why is God allowing suffering, is how does God want to use my suffering so that people can see him in my life? How does God want to use your difficulty, your situation, so that other people could see him in your life? Listen to me. If you want to be very bold... <laughs> the type of person that's able to walk through opposition and the type of faith that points people to Jesus, we need to commit ourselves to private decisions. My homework for you is to talk about it in group. Right, to just go like, okay, this is what I wanna commit myself to. Right, New Year's is all about commitments. It's all about like, I'm gonna read more, I'm gonna exercise more, I'm gonna eat less sugar, all the, all the things. I'm going to spend less time doom scrolling on social media. Like I'm going to, all the things. It's about commitment. How about we together as a group make some private, private commitments? Just you and your group and say, hey, this is, what we're, this is what I'm into this year. This is what I'm going to try to do. Private decisions of holiness. Listen to me, number two, we need good friends. Some of you, like my message to you is like you need new friends. Simple. And you know who you are. You know those friends. You're like, yeah, I know. I need, I need new friends. Not because they're like annoying, but because they're a bad influence. And, and my point by saying you need new friends is you need, to, you need to shift the influence and influenced friends in your life. This isn't a message for you to cut out people. That's not the point. 
where I don't think we're called to cancel people. Like, I'm done with you. You suck. It's over. Like, I think what we're called to is to be the proper influenced and influencing. Are you hearing me? Okay. And we need to trust whatever Jesus is doing in our lives.